everyone, and welcome to Biota. I'm your host, Phil, and I'm excited to be here today with my two new co-hosts, Sam and Seth, who are going to be joining me for a few episodes. Hi, everybody. I'm Sam, and I'm really excited to be getting into some interesting topics today. And I'm Seth. Thrilled to be joining the conversation as well. Well, it's great to have you both here with me in the studio. All right. So in this episode, we're going to embark on a journey through time and space to prehistoric America. And our guide for this trip is Dr. Leland Bement, a scientist from the Oklahoma Archaeological Survey. What he's going to describe for us is the day he and his research team made an incredible discovery. They found what's known as the Cooper Bison Skull, and it's the oldest intentionally painted artifact ever found in North America. And it's an interesting artifact, not only for what it tells us about natural history, but also human history. So in this episode, we'll be talking about that painted skull, how they found it, and what it tells us about the people who used it during a bison hunt. The Cooper Bison Skull has fascinated scientists, archeologists, and history buffs for years. It's a piece of the puzzle that helps us understand the complex relationship between ancient humans and the megafauna of North America. And it's an interesting story, whether you're a scientist, history enthusiast, or someone who just likes a good old-fashioned story about the past. Okay, so get ready to be transported back in time as we journey into the past and learn about the Cooper Bison Skull. As we dive into this story, we'll explore the skull's significance in terms of biology, archaeology, and the cultural heritage of the people who used to live in this region. So Sam, how about you set up the scene? So let's start with Dr. Bement describing a hot summer day when he and his research team were excavating a site in northwestern Oklahoma where there were multiple ancient bison hunts. This was called the Cooper Bison Kill Site. He and his team expected to find bison bones and different types of spearheads or projectile points that the ancient hunters used in slaughter. And as we found out here in the studio, they did find bones and spearheads. But even more importantly, they found this bison skull with patterns painted on it. Nothing like it had ever been found before, and it's something that would give them more perspective on the hunting and culture of the ancient Folsom people. Before we get into this story, I want you listeners to keep in mind how the Cooper Bison Kill Site, you know, where they found the skull, it's not just any archaeological discovery. You can think of it as a time capsule of an ancient hunter-gatherer civilization that provides valuable insights into their way of life and their hunting methods. See, that's what makes this so interesting, is that it's an incredible example of how scientists always need to be on the lookout for the unexpected. Be ready to collaborate and work across disciplines and always think about how their findings fit into a bigger picture of understanding life on Earth. All right. It's time for Dr. Bement to tell us about that particular day in the bone bed. Well, on this particular day, it was hot, extremely hot, and the area that I was excavating in, I was following the leg off of one of these articulated bison skeletons, following it out towards the hoof, and as I came down to the lower part of the leg uh, and started digging down around it, I encountered more bone directly under it, and as I started cleaning off the bone, it was clear that it was a section of skull. Well, I had stopped talking to everybody. The other two guys were working at other ends of the bone bed. 
And so they stopped and stood up and turned to look to see what I'd found, expecting it to be another projectile point or something. But from their various vantage points, when they looked down, all they could see this bright white skull with this brilliant red zigzag on it. And the three of us were just silent. Okay, so that's the moment they found the skull, and I can't imagine what that would be like. Such a discovery. Yeah, I think that's the thing that all of us found to be the most interesting while working on this episode. It's not just how exciting it would be to find an artifact like that, but also how they used this bison skull to learn something about the ancient Folsom people that no one had considered before. Now, there are a few things we should probably make clear from the beginning. First of all, the animal that was being hunted is an extinct species known as bison antiquus. That's right. Bison antiquus was a lot bigger than the American bison that we see now. In addition to the animals that they were hunting, another thing that's important to understand is that Dr. Bement and his team were excavating these bones in a site called an arroyo. You can think of an arroyo as a place where water erodes steep riverbanks over thousands of years to form small valleys that are large enough to trap a herd of bison that are about 20 to 30 in numbers. You can find arroyos across all of northwestern Oklahoma, so they were an available tool they could use in hunting for these ancient animals. All right, let's get back to Dr. Bement and let him explain how an arroyo trap works. Well, let's start out first with Normally, when you think of bison kill sites or buffalo kill sites, you envision uh, people stampeding animals over a cliff. In this case, this is the opposite. This is running animals or herding animals into a dead-end gully. So if you envision a very, very small box canyon, in this case, it's a gully, or we call it an arroyo, it has very steep walls and it has a very steep dead end on it. And when the animals come into this arroyo, they are being pushed up into it, not over its banks. And so they're herded into almost a corral situation where the animals get to that dead end and they cannot get out. And that means then that they're trapped in there. So the Cooper site wasn't just one hunt. They found evidence of three separate hunts using the same arroyo. So that's pretty good evidence that this hunting technique works. But who were the hunters? Well, Sam, based on the type of spear points that the research team found at the site, they knew the hunts were conducted by people part of the Folsom culture. The Folsom people were one of the early inhabitants of North America that lived about 13 to 12,000 years ago. They developed from an earlier group of people known as the Clovis Civilization. Dr. Bement gives a pretty good description of these early peoples here. On the southern plains, the initial culture that were making these traps were the Clovis people. They, after having hunted mammoths and figured out how to kill mammoths, when the mammoths went extinct, they had to divert their attentions to the next largest animal, which are these bison antiquas. And you hunt these bison in a different way, and one way is herding them into these traps. As, as we see with cultures, they change through time. And so Clovis uh, existed up until, oh, about 13,000 years ago, at which time 
those that culture morphed into what we refer to as the Folsom culture. Folsom uh, developed using a very thin, very small fluted projectile point that we call the Folsom point. And with that, it's, it seems to be more designed for hunting bison. So if I'm understanding what he's saying, the Folsom people hunted different animals, hunted in different ways, and hunted with different tools than the Clovis people before them. Exactly, Phil. Features of spear points and other tools are how archaeologists identify Folsom sites and other time periods from one another in the archaeological record. An interesting thing to keep in mind is the Folsom hunters were using spears, not arrows. So hunting was really up close and personal with these animals that were absolutely massive. And another thing about the Cooper site is that the skeletons and other evidence they found showed it was not like the typical hunt archaeologists find for a single family. For day-to-day living, a single Folsom family would typically ambush animals at a watering hole and then completely disassemble the animal to get all the meat and anything else useful. But at the Cooper site, there are about 20 or so bison skeletons in each hunt, which is more bison than a single family would kill. Each skeleton was also found pretty much still intact. So, based on how the skeletons were arranged, bison were probably butchered while they were already dead, but you know, still sort of standing up because they're all really packed densely into this arroyo. All that evidence considered together told Bement and his team that the Cooper site was very different from a normal kind of hunt. The evidence that we have that they're being butchered is the cut marks that are on the bones that show that they strip the meat off of them. But they are not cutting the legs off and moving the legs somewhere else to strip the meat or handing it to someone. They are not doing what you would expect if you wanted to recover every bit of meat and and sinew and everything else, you know, along with the hide that you can get off of these animals they are not doing that. They are very, very concentrated on a very few select cuts of meat that are on the hump and the back strap of the animal. The butchering evidence and the cut marks on the bones were really important pieces of evidence for anthropologists investigating this hunt. Those things told them that the hunters were going after pretty specific parts of the bison, places like the back strap. You know, the big muscles that run along the spine, kind of like a tenderloin? Instead of getting meat from the whole animal, like a family would do for a small hunt, these folks were going after high-quality cuts of meat that were easy to get to. See, that's where things get interesting. Because why would they go after all these premium cups of meat and leave everything else unless they were in a hurry and wanted to get as much food as possible quickly? We envision a whole lot of other cultural or social activities going on when any time in our modern, what we understand of modern groups, that you have a large number of people come together um, as a rendezvous, if you will. Food is necessary to keep everybody there. I mean, they need to be able to eat. They need to have those resources. But that is not the main intent as to why they are there. They are coming together for social reasons. So now it's all starting to come into focus for me. These folks were being so selective and going after the best and easiest pieces of meat to get at 
because they needed to get this food fast, because they're going to feed a large gathering of people. Yeah, and you know, that's another interesting thing that they had figured out. The archaeologists found projectile points made with stones that came from a lot of different places. Some of them were pretty far from the Cooper site. Yeah, I looked into some of that research. In other studies, Bement figured out that family groups would tend to collect the stones they needed to make spear points or tools from rocks near where they lived. So if researchers found points at the Cooper site that were made from the stones that aren't anywhere near the Cooper site, then there must have been hunters from those distant locations coming together to hunt at the same time. You know, that's something that really got my attention, too. I think they identified some of the spear points as, as coming from rocks that are common in central Texas and others from, like, eastern Kansas. So, yeah, when you start considering all of this evidence together, it becomes pretty clear that these hunters came to the specific place at the same time and needed to get meat to feed a lot of folks. So, in a way, this really wasn't just a hunt. It was more like a shopping trip for a gathering of people that, that had come together for some reason. Right. Now, there's still one big question he hasn't answered. How did these people know to be there at that time? I mean, if there's going to be some kind of large gathering, everyone needs to know when it is happening so they get there at the right time. But also, how did they know the bison would be there? You know, Sam, you bring up some good points there, and I had the same question. I could see the people would probably use seasonal cues like day length, maybe different plants are blooming, or the temperature starts to change to know meet back up year after year. But you're right. How did they know that the bison were going to be there? Now that's where the researchers had to get really creative to answer a question. It turns out that they could figure out that part by chemically analyzing the bison teeth that they found at the kill site. And we have developed very, very detailed growth and wear patterns on bison teeth to where we use that information to age the animals based on um, which teeth are erupting in the mouth and how much wear they have on them after they've erupted. The other part about enamel is that is pulled out of the bison's metabolism, out of what they eat to get the calcium, to get the carbonate, to get the various constituents of enamel laid to, to be laid down on there. So if an animal is is feeding on grasses and drinking water as it's moving across Oklahoma, it will be ingesting these elements and the trace amount of those elements will show up in the teeth. And if we analyze the bands of enamel for these elements, we can see which elements are in which bands and we can use that to map the geological presence of where that animal was when that enamel was being formed. Now, to me, that's an incredibly creative solution to figure out where an animal has been. Because bedrock and other minerals in the soil will vary from place to place, it absolutely makes sense that the isotopes of different elements found in one patch of prairie would get into the plants that grow there, and then those isotopes would get into the animals that eat those plants. Since those elements are then used to build parts of the animal, of course traces of the elements would accumulate in places like their teeth. Pemet even mentioned that bison teeth grow about 5 millimeters every two months. So if they start at the tip of the tooth, which is the oldest part, and work their way back to the base, they can figure out where that bison was eating when that layer formed. 
The base of the tooth is the most recently formed part, so that tells them the characteristic isotopes from where the bison was feeding before it died. All right, so I want to make sure I understand you all and Dr. Rement correctly, because it seems pretty important. If you know how fast the teeth grow and the rate at which the tooth in animals laid down, by looking at the isotopes in the different layers and comparing that to a map, you can backtrack where the animals were feeding at different times before the kill. So let's say that a tooth had a layer of uh, strontium or some other isotope 10 millimeters from the base of the tooth, and a particular prairie in their migration path is high in that particular isotope. I can infer that they were grazing at that prairie four months before it died. From previous research, they had figured out that herds of bison antiquas would be living near the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, somewhere west of where Raton, New Mexico is now. Now they'll start having their calves in late April and May, and then in early June the bison will start moving eastward across the plains. They would migrate to eastern Oklahoma, about where Tulsa, Oklahoma is now by late fall. They'll spend their winter in northeast Oklahoma, and then when it starts warming up and turning to spring, the bison would migrate west to the Rockies to start calving and then begin the migration all over again. Based on the age of the calves and the isotopes in the teeth, they figured out that the hunts at the Cooper site probably happened in late summer or fall. Wow, this is all just fascinating to me, you know, all this different data and all this stuff that we're talking about. But it just makes me wonder, if we bring it all together, what would it have been like on the day of that hunt? Well, let's let Dr. Bement describe what he thinks happened that day. So what happened was, as part of that preparation, probably either the evening before, or it may have been done that particular morning, as somebody went into that arroyo, selected a bison skull that was already in that arroyo from a previous kill. The previous kill, we estimate, was probably somewhere five years before this particular event. That's based on uh, the weather stage of weathering of the bones, their sun bleach from that earlier kill. And they took that skull and they positioned it at the very back of the arroyo, at what we call the head cut, or the very steep end of the arroyo. And they positioned it so it was looking down that gully in the direction of where the animals would have come into it. So when it was being positioned, then it was also painted and they painted zigzag lines is the main motif that's preserved on it. All of the motif is on the left side of the skull and the right side is totally blank. Then whatever ceremony happened after that, or that may have been all it was, uh, when that person or persons left, then started the hunt. And at that point, then you had hunters move in to be up on the rim of the gully and kind of hidden below the edge of the rim. And then you would have hunter pushers or beaters, however you want to look at it, is these would be people then that would work to maneuver this group of animals into that arroyo. Uh, really handy with bison behavior in this is that bison tend to follow a lead animal. And so as long as you can get that lead cow to head into the place that you want them to go, the others will follow her. And part of spooking that lead cow uh, may be that 
you know, you spook her just enough to where she starts heading to what she would perceive as safety, which if she's along the river, in this case, it would be along the Beaver River, if they're down in the floodplain, when you spook the animals, their tendency is to head to higher ground. And so they would select one of these gullies and follow into that gully, expecting it to lead them up onto higher ground. So that when the lead animals get to the dead end and they realize that they're stuck and they turn around to leave, that there's too many animals followed them in behind, that that has blocked their path to escape. And that is when the hunters that are positioned up on the rim pop up and start throwing spears. Wow, it's just so incredible how they can reconstruct that event based on the bones and other things that they found there at the site. And then there's that painted skull which completely changes how you think about what was happening on that day and why it was happening in the first place. Yeah, I mean, looking at the evidence, clearly there was a gathering of some sort that they needed a lot of easy access to food. But not just that. This must have been a really important meeting for the Folsom people. It could have been a time of family reunion, a time of making decisions, or even matchmaking. To me, it seems like from all the things they found, that they had this hunt to support all these people that came together for some, you know, still unknown reason. But finding that skull, that's something new. I mean, we don't know if it was a spiritual kind of artifact or, or just something maybe to ensure a good hunt. But what it tells us is that this really was a meaningful event. And it gave the archaeologists something to think about that they really hadn't considered before. I mean, let's let Dr. Bemin explain what I mean by that. I would like them to consider that there's a lot more to understanding any culture, particularly prehistoric cultures uh, that I deal with. But looking at any culture around the world and realizing that there is a whole lot of symbolism, a lot of socialness that, that is involved in every human culture. There's this ritual aspect that was involved in hunting bison that we as archaeologists often just don't connect with. We don't see it. We see the bison as a subsistence item. They're killing them. They're eating them. They're making tools from them. They're using the hide for clothing and blankets and stuff. We see the subsistence role that bison play. And in this particular case, it should be striking to find this painted skull in a place where painting a skull is the last thing you would think that they'd be doing. And we may not be able to understand what that zigzag line is. We call it a lightning bolt. But to them, it probably represented anything but a lightning bolt. We will never know. But we have to remember that Every culture has certain parts of it that that just is totally filled with ritual and meaning that is not always explicit. That there's these very implied parts of that society. And we need to look around in our culture and those that have a different culture from us and see What's really important there? It's not just the food. There's other parts. 
I mean, we have all this technology. We can figure out people movement, animal movement, but none of that points out what the rituals are, what that other ask the sacredness of these animals. Only a painted skull gives you that aspect. All right. That brings us to the end of the Cooper Bison Skull story. So let's go around the table and see what each of us thinks is really the big take-home message from this episode. Tell you what, I'll kick things off. For me, one of the big things is how the Cooper site is really an example of, of a different kind of hunt that these ancient people used and how it shows that people from different places coordinated to come together at the same time to be part of it. And since there were bones from three separate kills at this site, archaeologists were able to get some valuable insights on how this unique type of hunt would work and why the Folsom people would have used it. So again, to me, it's like they found this ancient time capsule that lets us take a look into the lives of the Folsom people. Yeah, that's a pretty good point that you bring up there. And I think we should also, you know, consider how they used all these various pieces of data, like the bison migratory movements, projectile points, the fact that they found all these bones from about a dozen different aged bison, and then to top it all off, a painted skull, something nobody has ever found before at an ancient hunt site. On their own, all these different pieces of data tell us their own story, but it's not until you pull them all together that they paint a picture of a fearsome hunt, a large social gathering, and what was a complex nomadic hunting culture that we didn't know about previously. We only get that through biology and archaeology working together, and it makes you think what other breakthroughs will come about as science becomes more and more interdisciplinary. And what I got out of it is how this research gives us a window into the past that helps us think a little bit more about who the Folsom people were. This work makes it possible to think about who they were, why they were there, and what they might have been doing. Finding the skull and the rest of the evidence at this site makes it feel really familiar. We know what it's like with people getting together, so I can sort of see all the little cousins playing together, people cooking, grandparents talking and telling stories, that kind of thing. It makes them seem more like us. They aren't just bones and spear points. They're people like me and you. You know, those are, those are all excellent points, and I'm glad that we all you know, got something out of this episode. All right, the clock on the wall is showing me that it's time to bring this episode to an end. So first, I want to thank Dr. Leland Bement for his time and sharing this great story. If you want to see the Cooper Bison Skull, you can visit the Sam Noble Oklahoma Museum of Natural History in Norman, Oklahoma, or you can visit it online at samnoblemuseum.ou.edu. You can also read about it in Dr. Bement's book titled Bison Hunting at Cooper Site, where lightning bolts drew thundering herds. We'll also post some other information on my website, jphilgibsonlab.oucreate.edu. I also want to thank Sam and Seth for the many, many hours of work they put into audio production for this episode. We'd originally released this as three separate episodes, and they condensed it down into one. So they put a lot of hours into this episode development. Great job for both of you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Definitely. Happy to be here and happy to be working with you in the future. All righty then. As I always say at this point, Thanks again for listening. Have a great day. Take very good care of your genetic material. And I want to add one more thing. Stay biologically curious. All right, y'all take care, and we'll talk to you again soon. Biota is a production of Under the Juniper Studios. All opinions expressed are those of the author alone. Thank you.